Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle. Because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider. And also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your crave. Friday edition of PFTPM, another Friday closer to death and another Friday that I can say I've never seen Casablanca, which isn't nearly as unforgivable, Miles, as never having seen Back to the Future and the various other classics that you have not seen. Wait a minute. Wait a minute now. I don't think anybody is going to put you know Back to the Future on like the top five movies of all time list. All right. Now, even I, who have like barely seen any movies, I've seen Casablanca and we'll always have another Friday closer to death, Mike. That's true. <laughs> uh, I, and, and I could say I'll watch it, but I have no desire to watch it. See, right, you well, have a desire you have a desire to watch Back to the Future. You just do also I? refuse to do it because you you don't want to have me left with the satisfaction that you have done something that I very much wanted you to do, which is watch Back to the Future. And I'm not even going to make a deal with you that I'll go watch Casablanca if you watch Back <laughs> to the Future because I just have no interest. I just I, could, I can't imagine it's any good. How is it any good? A movie from 1942. <laughs> How is it any good? Under today's there are standards. plenty of movies. There are plenty of movies that are still, and they don't necessarily hold up, but I don't know. It would be fun probably to go like see things in black and white like they were when you were a kid before color was invented. Thank you. When I was growing up in the 30s, <laughs> I grew up before they even had TVs. Yeah, we back sat in and your watched day, the huh? radio. Yeah. Uh... Great. <laughs> All right. Well, this is going to be a fun hour. Fortunately, only 56 minutes left in it. Let's get to it. Cowboys fans, as they anticipated what still could be a very exciting five-day stretch when they face the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday, host the Raiders on Thursday, now they're going to have to do it without receiver Amari Cooper, one of the best players on the team, placed on the COVID list, ruled out for Sunday's game against the Chiefs, likely will miss the next two games. Now, I don't want to go too far down the is he vaccinated or not rabbit hole, but even if he is vaccinated, and I don't know that we've seen anything with clarity in that regard, or maybe he's got a fake vaccine card and it doesn't matter. But regardless, if you're vaccinated and you test positive, you uh, can't come back until you have negative tests, two of them at least 24 hours apart. Nobody's done it in fewer than 10 days. I can't think of anybody who's done it in fewer than 10 days. So I think it's safe to say he's not going to be back on Thursday. Definitely out on Sunday against the Kansas City Chiefs. And, and that hurts the Cowboys. He's a key piece of that offense. He makes that passing game go. And, yeah, I guess they can throw it more to C.D. Lamb. And the good news is Michael Gallup is back. He's been injured for all of the season. So he can help fill the void a little bit. But not having Amari Cooper is going to be a factor, Miles. Oh, it totally is. And, yeah, it's just one of those injuries where you hear it, especially on a Friday, and it's not even really an injury, but you kind of think of it as one, you know, because it's availability versus not being available. So, anyway, he tests positive for COVID. He has to go on the COVID list. And it's like, oh, man, you know, you're you're ready to see this great game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Dallas Cowboys. And now that is one huge piece of it, one of these star players on one of these teams, and he's not going to be available. And it really, it just sucks. I mean, because I don't know about you, Mike, but I really wanted to see what these two teams could do basically at full strength going up against one another. And so now, you know, instead of maybe throwing the ball all around Arrowhead Stadium now, they might go to a more steady diet of Zeke and Tony Pollard, right? And I can understand Dallas doing either way, right? I mean, you could still go with C.D. Lamb and still go with Gallup and throw the ball around and have Dak do whatever Dak needs to do in order to win. But I think the good thing about the Cowboys right now is that they have multiple ways that they can go into a stadium and beat different teams. And the best teams can do that. So it's still going to be a fun matchup between the Cowboys and the Chiefs. But, yeah, this, this does take an element away from that. 
Yeah, it absolutely does. And I had made the point earlier in the week that it's in the Cowboys' best interest, I believe, to take advantage of their running game, shorten the game, frustrate Patrick Mahomes, especially because he seems more frustratable this year than usual because he wants to have the big play, wants to get the ball down the field. And yes, he's kind of settled within, to a certain extent, the the situation that the Chiefs now have, which is teams are taking away that big shot. But still, the more he's on the sideline, the more he's going to potentially press. And you've got an offense that that can keep him on the sideline. And maybe they will now have a greater incentive to skew toward the run. But they still have Dak Prescott. They still have C.D. Lamb. They do have Michael Gallup. They do have other targets in the passing game. It's just not going to be as potent of a Cowboys team as I thought, and I foolishly picked the Cowboys to win. I don't know that this changes my mind because I still think the Cowboys are a better team even without Amari Cooper, but it will be a tougher task. And, uh, you know, still going to be a great game, still going to be a fun Thanksgiving game, but it's a shame. And, you know, you, you mentioned it's like an injury. It is. It's, it's, we've accepted that there's this rogue lightning bolt that potentially can hit any player, any time, any day, yeah. any hour, and we're just ready for it. Ben Roethlisberger, last Saturday night, oh, boom, positive, he's out. Aaron Rodgers, oh, boom, positive, he's out. Mari Cooper, oh, boom, positive, he's out. And you just have to, you have to harden yourself as a football fan for the possibility it's going to happen to one of the best players on your favorite team at any given time because that's just kind of the way it goes this year. Right. Well, and it's the way it was going last year. And, you know, even with players, more players being vaccinated, um, it, it still can strike with a breakthrough case, right? I mean, that's exactly what happened with Ben Roethlisberger. He gets the symptoms and then he reports the symptoms and boom, you know, he's out with COVID. And so now he still may miss this week too. So I, I think the other element of this is like, all right, do we believe that the Chiefs have sort of righted themselves? Right? Do, or do we think, that last week was kind of a mirage when they just go to Las Vegas and they beat down a division rival. I mean, it, does that mean exactly what we think it means that the chiefs are right because they didn't turn the ball over on offense. Yes, they did have one on special teams, but you know, when Patrick Mahomes, who is almost leading the league in interceptions, right? He's got 10 only Sam Darnold and uh, Cincinnati's Joe Burrow have more with 11. Like, this is still an issue where it's like, okay, did the Chiefs really fix what's been ailing them? Or do we have a situation where they went, they beat a division rival, and then now another team from another conference that's really good can come in this time with their starting quarterback and essentially go in there and show what this team has been, which is a decently okay team that has a lot of problems on defense. And, uh, Cooper is unvaccinated, according to ESPN. Unvaccinated and will miss at least the next two games. Uh, two. Here it is. Sources told ESPN that Cooper tested positive for COVID-19 and is unvaccinated, which mandates a 10-day quarantine that will knock him out of the next two games. And wow. he should be back, presumably, by the following Thursday when the Cowboys and the Saints get together. So unvaccinated and you know, the Cowboys have been kind of at the forefront. Jerry Jones willing to say, hey, you, you need to do what you have to do to put the team ahead of your own interests. Michael Irvin mm -hmm. won't be happy about this. Michael Irvin, one of the first former players to come out and say very clearly and unequivocally, if you care about winning, you get vaccinated. I'm surprised mm -hmm. that it came down to that because I just assumed the Cowboys did a good job of getting the message out and getting everyone vaccinated. But clearly Cooper isn't. And, and that would explain why he tested positive today, mm -hmm. because he gets tested every day. The other explanation would be he develops symptoms if he is vaccinated, like Ben Roethlisberger. No, you're tested every day if you're not vaccinated. And boom, there's the positive and no Amari Cooper for at least the next two games. So uh, that's where things stand for the Cowboys. And uh, still a couple of great games coming up and still one of the best teams in the NFC. But the degree of difficulty increases just a bit. And, and look, we can't say he wouldn't have tested positive or wouldn't have gotten COVID if he hadn't or if he had gotten vaccinated, but he wouldn't right. have been tested today. That's for damn sure. That's they wouldn't have found out about it until next week. If he had developed it from his 
once per week test, if he was clear, if he had been tested Monday, for example, and he was negative then, he wasn't going to get tested until next Monday. So he would have at least played on Sunday. Now he may have been shedding virus. And, you know, that's one of the flaws in the NFL's protocols. But it's a reality. If you're vaccinated, you're not tested every day. And there's a chance some guys slip through the cracks and play in games that maybe they shouldn't have because the positive isn't detected. We've detected that the Patriots are pretty damn good. And one of the things that we've seen about the Patriots this year, they have they have found a way to click. They found a way to gel. Mac Jones talked about after last night's 25 to nothing win over the Falcons, how they, they have a great love for each other. There's a great chemistry there. Bill Belichick was asked today about the success of the Patriots and the chemistry that has developed and how chemistry does develop and can develop. And the most important aspect of it, you can't just make it happen. It either happens or it doesn't. Let's hear more from Belichick on that quality that the 2021 Patriots possess. Well, the relationship with the players, I think, is always a very uh, special one. And uh, it's not something as a coach that you can orchestrate. Uh, I think it just has to happen. Uh, hopefully you put players together that um, will we'll be able to form those kind of relationships and trust and camaraderie and, and all those things. Uh, but it's not anything you can legislate or it just kind of has to happen. Um and so I'm glad it's happening, and, and I'm glad that they, they have that kind of feeling because I do think there's a you know, chemistry that goes with uh, communication and anticipation and, and you know, knowing what the other guy is doing and him knowing what you're doing and, and being able to play aggressively uh, with all that. So, um, yeah, no, I think it's, you know, it's a good thing. I'm glad that, that they feel that way, and I'm glad that's developing. Um, and it takes time. It, it takes some success. Um, you know, it's again not something you can just talk about and, and just magically happens. I think you need to you need to back it up with some uh, results uh, that reinforce what you're what you're doing and what they're feeling. And the chemistry is so important, really, in any setting, whether it's sports, whether it's business, whether it's school. If people like each other and they get along, and if they have some good results, what happens? They like each other a little bit more. Everybody's having a little more fun. Everybody feels better with each other, and it just kind of snowballs. So when you're winning, it's easier to have good chemistry. There isn't a reason for everybody to be pissed off after a loss. They're happy after a win. It's easy to get along with your coworkers when everybody's naturally happy by the outcome. But if you harness that and you can build on it and you can keep winning and winning and winning, your team's going to get closer and closer, and it's working for the Patriots right now. It, it is. And, you know, it's, it's funny, Mike, like I, I watch them and it's like they're really enjoying growing together. And it seems like even Bill Belichick is really kind of enjoying this process of seeing these guys all grow together. I mean, he even like kind of cracked a smile a little bit when he was talking about the fact that he's glad it's happening, that the chemistry is coming together because it's not something you can legislate or ma- and try to like, you know, make sure it happens. It, it just doesn't. You know, that's why I don't really like icebreakers whenever you go meet new people. I think that's ridiculous. Like you just have to have conversations, but that's something, you know, we can talk about at a later date. But, you know, the funny thing, Mike, you know, I, I went and I watched the Brady propaganda uh, documentary on ESPN Plus. And you know, I think <laughs> oh, that there are some real parallels here between that 2001 team. Yes, I know. I kinda, it was funny a little bit, right? And then this team that we've got now here in 2021, because look, you still got the young quarterback. You've got, they're not trying to do too much with him. They're really kind of bringing him along slowly, but as they start to expand the playbook, you got this team that's also playing really, really good defense. The run game is strong. Like, I think that there are some parallels here between that 01 team and the team that we've got now. And, you know, if they keep ascending, who knows where it ends? I'll agree with you, and I have not yet watched the Tom Brady propaganda documentary, but I look at it this way. Any documentary that is produced by the subject of the documentary isn't really a documentary. It's an infomercial, <laughs> right? Yeah. Hard Knocks I mean, is not yeah. a documentary. Anything that the NFL produces typically is not a true documentary. A true documentary is what 
what the guy, what was his name? Sean Pamphalon. Remember that name from 2012 in the aftermath of the bounty scandal when it first hit the fan. Within about a month after that, Sean Pamphalon came forward with audio that he had captured in the locker room the night before the Saints 49ers playoff game. A true documentarian who was not beholden to the NFL or the Saints and captured this horrific Greg Williams audio. If yes. it's a true documentary, that's you, you get warts and all. It's balanced. Right. It's a true depiction. It's not the stuff that the person who is producing the documentary wants us to see. I mean, it's a vanity project. Sorry, but that's what it is. And I've got no interest in watching it, Miles. <laughs> Zero interest in watching The Man in the Arena. I'm sorry. They should call it the man in the mirror because that's what it is. It's a vanity play. Well, let me make that change, right? If you want to make the world a better place, got to take a look at yourself first. Um, But I think that the funny part about that man in the arena documentary is that there's just a lot of stuff that I didn't really remember or know. And I'm like, obviously I can do the like, oh, this is because I'm young and you're old, Mike. But like, it's actually not really that. It's just the truth. You know, I, I was like 10 in that 2001 season. So I don't really remember a lot of the stuff. So I didn't really remember that you know, Brady had gotten hurt in the AFC championship game and Bledsoe had to come in. And then there were questions about who's going to start the game in the Super Bowl. But like, and it's mostly, it's kind of like the last dance, except the last dance went to a lot more sources than at least this first episode of this documentary. I don't want to talk about this documentary anymore. I, I, what I think you brought is it up. really cool about the Patriots. I know I did. I think the Patriots right now are in a good place because they have the quarterback who can pilot the offense successfully, right? And and sometimes you don't have to do as much in order to win. Like last night, that that was a mudslinging game, right? And the Patriots won in the way that they knew that they would need to because it's a Thursday night game. So you sling a bunch of mud around and you make it ugly and then that's how you win. And so that is sort of why I brought that whole thing up with 01 because like that to me is how they were winning back then, right? Because you have a young QB, that's how you help the young QB. So now that they're playing really good defense and they have their young QB and they're running the ball really well, they're playing physicality, the Patriots are not going to be a, a team that anybody wants to see in the postseason. Oh, I agree. And I've been saying for the past few weeks, if they get there, they are going to be a very difficult team for another AFC playoff franchise to face. It's not if anymore. Now, there's no guarantee they're going to get there. 12 teams in the AFC are at or above 500. There's going to be at least five of those teams that end up on the outside looking in. I still have a a sliver of a possibility the three and seven Dolphins win their next four and then are in position to crash the party. But I I think that's a very low likelihood. You got 12 teams at or above 500. Five of them are not going to make it. And the Patriots could still fall off. Or they could be the one seed. That's what's amazing about this season. But we've seen them now win five in a row. 175 to 50 is the combined score. 35 to 10 on average. They are systematically taking teams apart. And they got the Titans and they got the Bills coming up next and those games to me are going to be fascinating get the titans coming to new england and then you have the patriots at buffalo on a monday night in december that will be something to uh to to enjoy as we figure out where these teams are going to land all right the bears are probably going to land on the outside of the playoffs although they like every other team in the nfc except the lions are still alive they won't have khalil mack for the rest of the season on injured reserve reportedly due to a season-ending foot surgery has six sacks in seven games this season did not record double-digit sacks in any of the last three seasons and I guess you could say in hindsight maybe they shouldn't have given up all that to trade for him and maybe they shouldn't have given him all that money but you know injuries are just part of the risk it's it's part of the risk of, of football and guys get banged up and Khalil Max had some injuries and you know has he been the best pass rusher in the NFL since he made the jump from the Raiders to the Bears no no um but it's not like the Raiders turned around and you know came up with a class of future Hall of Famers with the draft picks that they got in return for Khalil Mack either well no I don't think they've gotten one Hall of Famer out of any of those picks man and it's a shame too for the Raiders because 
when you started with that process of trading Khalil Mack, you know, you had three first round picks in 2019 and they turned into Cleveland Furl, Josh Jacobs, and then Jonathan Abram. And of those three guys, I mean, Josh Jacobs is good, but he's often hurt, right? You don't even have really a perennial pro bowler out of those three players. And Cleveland Furl can barely see the field at this point. He was the first pick of that, uh, of that class for the, for the Raiders. But I mean, when you look at, the, the Chicago Bears, I mean, you make a move like that because you think you're on the cusp of something, and the Bears haven't really been on the cusp of anything in the last couple of years, right? I mean, they did go to the postseason two times. They have lost both of those games that they have gone um, in the wild card round. So I just – it's one of those deals where it's like, eh, I don't know if it really worked out for any team um, because now, I mean, there's a possibility, Mike, right, that, that he's played his last snap for the Chicago bears. Am I wrong about that? Because I believe that the way that contract is structured, there's an out for Chicago after this season. And do you really want to continue paying Khalil Mack when the production has not necessarily matched the salary? I don't know. Well, and look, the worst thing you can do is double down on a mistake to further justify it. And that happens from time to time. I'm pulling up the Khalil Mack contract here though on spotrack.com does a good job of gathering everything and it shows the potential out in 2022 you still have a dead cap charge of 24 million but a cap number of 30 million if he's still on the team there's a 12 million dollar salary there's some signing bonus money that's still left restructuring bonus that would accelerate they would take a hit if they move on from him but it's going to cost six million more in cash than what the cap charge would be of $24 million if you just move on, and that's money that's already spent. So they got to ask themselves, do we want to save uh, the $6.8 million salary? Do we want to save a $5.5 million roster bonus? Uh, what do we want to do, and do we want to clean up some cap space and and uh, move on? And I guess they could trade it. could trade him back to the Raiders. Wasn't there, wasn't there talk <laughs> this past year yeah. that at one point, as the Raiders searched for pass rushers, they actually called the Bears about a trade yes. for Khalil Mack? Yes, now, now yes, that, that now that John Gruden's out of the report, picture, yeah. now that John Gruden's out of the picture, I, I don't know that that's an impossibility because ultimately Mac wanted out because he didn't like Gruden. Now Gruden's yeah. gone. Maybe they could bring so, him back next year. They could. I mean, I think that they do have right now. That was so. I remember Vic Tafer reported that I believe in August, and he was saying that before uh, they got Yannick Ngakwe in free agency, that was something that was that was a call that was made just to see, hey, is this something that maybe we could work out? And then obviously it didn't work out, and then the Raiders get Ngakwe, and now here they are. I think that the Raiders are set up, or at least right now, with Ngakwe and Crosby as two pretty darn good edge rushers. They've been getting pressure, so I don't know if Ness. Necessarily, they would want to do that um, in terms of bringing Khalil Mack back. But Khalil Mack is still potentially one of the best edge rushers in the league. I don't know if we would necessarily say that individually about Crosby or Ngakwe at this point. Yeah, uh, I, I, look, I, I love a little chaos. I love a little reunion. I love oh, a little I know homecoming. That. I'd love to see Khalil Mack. I like a lot of chaos. I'd love to see Khalil Mack back with the Raiders. Mm-hmm. TJ Watt, highest paid defensive player in football currently will miss Sunday night's game on NBC between the Steelers and the Chargers with the hip injury and the knee injury. The MRI on both of those injuries on Monday ruled out a serious condition, but still, he's not going to be able to play. Joe Hayden with a foot injury is out. Ben Roethlisberger most likely won't be cleared to return from his COVID diagnosis from last Saturday. Remember, he developed symptoms. He's vaccinated, but you still don't see guys coming back that quickly. Mason Rudolph and company with the task of taking on the Chargers, who have several players also on the COVID list, including Joey Bosa, who could, in theory, come back by Sunday night, and I think is due to come back, but he he won't have practiced if he does. Uh, Hey, this makes it tougher for the Steelers to pull this one off. They're five-and-a-half-point underdogs the last I checked, and I thought, hey, you, you run the ball well, you play good defense, you don't necessarily need to have Mason Rudolph do anything because that's one thing that he did. On Sunday, not anything for the Steelers. (laughs) So uh, now it's going to be a lot harder without T.J. Watt. Well, you know, one, one another guy you didn't mention right there, Mike, was uh, Minka Fitzpatrick, who also is currently on the COVID list. So there's a lot of elements that is mi- they're missing now 
for the Steelers' defense, right? I mean, I think not having T.J. Watt, frankly, just changes the absolute complexion of the way that defense works. If you watch that Week 2 game that they had against the Las Vegas Raiders, you saw early on in it, T.J. Watt was getting going. He got a sack fumble on Derek Carr. T.J. Watt goes out. The entire game changes. There's more time for Derek Carr in the pocket to find guys down the field. And I think you could say sort of a similar thing about the next week when T.J. Watt was out that groin injury and then the Steelers played the Cincinnati Bengals and you have Joe Burrow. He's got all kinds of time to find Jamar Chase down the field, you know, when there's about two minutes left in the first half. So not having T.J. Watt out there is a big deal. But when I think when you pair that with also not having Minka Fitzpatrick, that is huge. And so the Chargers need to get things rolling again, especially offensively. This is an opportunity for them to do so because I'm telling you, not having those two guys, and that's saying nothing of a veteran presence like Joe Hayden at corner, yeah, those three guys being out, that's a big deal. Yeah, I forgot about Minka Fitzpatrick. How could you forget about his absence but he's another one that's on the COVID list and you know I go back to the Melvin Ingram trade we Mm -hmm. don't want hostages we want volunteers well you're going to wish you had that guy that was under contract with you to be a member of your team in the event that T.J. Watt gets injured and you want to plug him into your defense that's a problem now for the Steelers it's one of the reasons why the Colts continue to squat on Marlon Mack he's the ultimate insurance against Jonathan Taylor getting injured at some point this year, even though he's not happy to be inactive and they're not happy to make him inactive. You need that depth. And now the Steelers a little less depth when they need it with TJ Watt out this week. So I picked the Steelers already to win that game. I may have to, I know my hands off the checker, Mm -hmm. but when it's time on football night in America to pick a winner, I may have to change the chargers, Mm -hmm. even though I will open myself up to all sorts of criticism it's not like I'm not going to get criticized for something else, so what the hell. Running back injuries to mention on the way out the door. Seahawks running back Chris Carson out for the season with a neck injury. He's he's Look, it's a tough position. And the mm-hmm. Seahawks, since Marshawn Lynch, have had a hell of a time, Miles, finding guys who can stay healthy. And we mm-hmm. take for granted the running back who can show up and play Every week, no matter what. I was thinking earlier today for some reason about halftime of a game at Arrowhead Stadium once where Marshawn Lynch just – he stayed out on the field getting getting worked on on a table on the sideline instead of going to the locker room at halftime so they could, you know, hold his body together enough so he could play in the second half. That guy showed up far more often than not. And, and it's kind of the Emmett Smith quality. No matter how much you banged – up Marshawn Lynch, he would find a way to play. That is a rare quality because most human beings cannot survive the pounding that you take as a running back in the National Football League. And the Seahawks have not been able to find someone who can stay consistently healthy post-Marshawn Lynch. Well, yeah, I mean, Marshawn Lynch, I mean, he's one of those guys that's built different, right? I mean, it's like Derrick Henry, too. I mean, it's another one of those guys where when he does finally get hurt, it's really surprising because he's just been the kind of player that can take the licking and keep on ticking and running and running and running and over and over and over again through the person's face on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage. Obviously not usually saying person, but I, I think the big deal here with Um, the Seahawks now is, are they going to be able to find a consistent run threat that's going to be able to help them? Because, you know, there are a lot of teams that are still in it in the NFC. And when you have somebody like Russell Wilson, when you have Pete Carroll and the success that they have had over the last decade-ish now that it's been that he's been there, I mean, I just feel like at some point they're going to be able to turn it on. And now that you've got this extra game, Um, in the season, it to me makes it even more possible for them to sneak in the back door as that seventh seed and potentially go on a little run here. So I just feel like if they can figure out who they have and what they need in order to get that consistent run threat, then the Seahawks still can be pretty dangerous. Yeah, but I don't think think so. Well, I'm influenced by the fact that the Seahawks have been good for as long as they've been and they haven't been even at 500 I believe at any point during Russell Wilson's career the year they didn't make the playoffs they still went nine and seven Mm -hmm. so I'm I'm tainted by that 
that bias that the Seahawks good. You just have it in your head. Seahawks good. Seahawks good. Ever since they switched to those Nike-fied uniforms, Seahawks good. I think maybe this year Seahawks not good. I think we just have to accept that there's a chance that it doesn't matter who they put out there, that, that, that they're falling off and they need to ask themselves, is now the time to sell the Russell Wilson contract, maximize the return so we can reinvest those assets and the cap space that we would realize by moving Russell Wilson, the money we wouldn't be paying him, either now or on his next contract, use that money to beef up the team. But they're at a real crossroads and uh, strange times for the Seahawks. And I, 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 I think, you know, it's always dangerous to write off an NFL team, but I'm, uh, I'm about to write them Ooh. off. And I, th- I, and, and, I, and I may write off the Saints, too. No Alvin Kamara this weekend. Trevin, oh, Trevor yeah. Simeon is the starting quarterback. They're going to Philadelphia. The Eagles are playing well. I had picked the Saints, but I thought maybe Kamara would play when I picked the Saints. That's the thing about picking games on Thursday. Kamara practiced on Wednesday, so I'm thinking, oh, he'll be fine. Well, then he doesn't practice Thursday, doesn't practice Friday, and he's ruled out. Oh, well, not fine, and it may be a tough one for the Saints. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, we will look at five for Friday. Meanwhile, Miles is going to turn up the collar on his favorite winter coat as the wind is blowing through his mind. Another line from Man in the Mirror. We'll be right back. Justin and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. What's your report surface yesterday about um, allegations that one of your players, Antonio Brown, may have procured a, a fake vaccine card? Um, can, you, can you speak to that? Do you have any reason to think that he's produced a fake vaccine card? None whatsoever. We did our due diligence. The league will do theirs. And it has nothing to do with the Giants game. Bruce Arians, I'm shocked by his response. I'm shocked that he would say that and not, you know what, there is a chance we did a half-assed job of confirming the accuracy of his vaccination card. There is a chance that maybe we probably should have thought if anyone, and I said this earlier today, PointsBet did not have odds on this proposition, but if they did, odds of the player most likely to be accused of having a fake vaccination card, Antonio Brown would have been at the top. So that bet pays off. Not saying he did. I'm saying most likely to be accused of having one. Uh, I, I semantics. The statement yesterday from the Browns. I don't want to get too deep into the semantics of it. Whoa, but whoa, 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 whoa! Not, not the Browns. Leave the Browns out of this. Whoa, the Browns. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Browns is the Browns. The Browns is the Browns. Without, yeah. <laughs> about that. from the Buccaneers. The statement from go. the Buccaneers saying that we reviewed the card and there were no obvious irregularities. That's the thing. There was no obvious irregularity on McLovin's fake Hawaiian driver's license either. It's not the issue of whether or not there are obvious irregularities. The issue is whether or not the information contained on this little piece of paper that that looks like it was cut with safety scissors and could be printed off on any $50 HP printer is true and accurate. Because all it is is a little grid and you put in the name and you put in where you got your shot and you put in what kind of shot and you put in the lot number and you put in the date that you got the shot. And there won't be obvious irregularities unless you say type of vaccination. I don't, you know, uh, bear aspirin. I, you know, th- th- that's the kind of obvious irregularity that would that would show. But if it looks plausible, that's the question. What did the teams do? What has the league done to audit this information when there's a clear temptation to submit a false vaccination card? And it's not all that difficult to do it. What was done proactively to ensure that the information contained in these cards is true and correct? And now they say, whoa, 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 we have to, we have to look and see. We have to explore. You know what? There's been talk about fake vaccination cards for months, months. Right. And so I think they kept their head in the sand, just like with Aaron Rodgers. We we wouldn't know Aaron Rodgers wasn't vaccinated if he hadn't tested positive. He'd continue to show up at the press conferences without a mask. The league would continue to do jack squat about it. And we wouldn't know the difference. Same thing here. 
We wouldn't know anything about this. There'd be no investigation if someone hadn't blown the whistle on Antonio Brown possibly having a fake vaccination card. That is not the kind of action, Miles, that tells me they really care about their protocols. That tells me they care about it looking like they care about their protocols. Well, right. I, I think, you know, the way of verifying this is verifying lot numbers, right? And so we don't know if they actually did that, you know, in terms of actually making sure that players did get vaccinated when they submitted a vaccination card. And I think that there are pretty obvious um, motivations of saying that you got vaccinated because if you did get vaccinated, like, you know, the protocols are extremely different for vaccinated versus unvaccinated players when you're in the building, right? Like, I think we all know that by now. So there is some uh, definite motivation in terms of doing that if you, for whatever reason, don't want to be vaccinated, which frankly, I will never understand. But like I said, there are reasons to do that if that's the route you want to take. So yeah, I think it's not just about, you know, the player's safety who may or may not have submitted a fake vaccine card. It's about the safety of everybody around them, because if you are unvaccinated and you're not being tested every day as the protocols stipulate, then frankly, you are endangering all of these people who are around you because say you do have COVID, then you're walking around unmasked in the facility. You're spreading that thing to everybody. Like that could be a real, real big issue. So that's why there are different protocols for vaccinated and unvaccinated players and why there's close contacts and different things like that. So it's not just, uh, oh, wow, you know, what did Antonio Brown do or do not do or what Antonio Brown did or did not do whatever it is that I'm trying to say. It's about protecting all the rest of the people in the building who have done the right thing and are vaccinated and have said they're vaccinated because they're vaccinated. And Bruce Arians is a three-time cancer survivor. Bruce Arians has been under the impression that he's got 100% vaccination. So Antonio Brown, if indeed this is a fake card, was was wrongfully obtaining the benefit of being vaccinated and not having to go through the protocol, not being the one guy that was the holdout, not facing the pressure from Tom Brady to go get the jab. If Tom Brady was squeezing guys to go get the jab, hey, I got the jab, here's my card, Uh, they should be pissed off. And I think Bruce Arians' reaction is consistent with somebody who's thinking, we may be in trouble here. So let's just say what we have to say and focus on Monday night and we'll deal with whatever happens later. And whatever it was, it wasn't my fault because I'm not the one who reviewed the card and noticed no irregularities. The question is, how much more beyond that did you do? And I'm aware of teams who, you know, there's been look, defector had an item about it. Kalen Kaler, a great item about the mm-hmm. suspicion of fake vaccine cards. There were rumors that ESPN's outside the lines has been working on a story about this. That has caused some teams to say, we better make sure that our backyard's in order, just in case. And, uh, you know, if the Buccaneers had done that, maybe there wouldn't have been a story that emerged this week about a fake vaccination card for Antonio Brown. The other side of it, too, is the damage is done once you submit the fake card. Because okay. there's a theory that once the shakedown started, and I, I, I don't know that it was a shakedown, but it sure looks and smells and walks and talks like a shakedown of, so of Antonio Brown. <laughs> to pay To pay the money... To pay the money that he owed his live-in chef, and he's got a habit of not paying people. This is what happens. When you don't pay people and they know things about you, they may say things to other people about it to get back at you. So that's how I use the term shakedown. I don't mean any illegal activities happened, even if they did. But once you catch wind of it, he may have gone and gotten vaccinated. That's kind of the theory that's making its way around the grapevine. Fake card, poop hits the fan, got vaccinated, now everything's fine overlooks the fact that there's still a chance you submitted a fake vaccination card. Right, exactly. And so, yeah, that's that's the really weird thing about this. Like, you would think that Antonio Brown would learn by now that if you don't want people talking about you, you know, like putting your business potentially all out there in the streets, then you really should just pay people. Like, this is not the first time that we've heard of an incident where Antonio Brown didn't pay somebody and then that person in turn went and started singing like a canary. I don't really get this. I mean, pay people what you owe them. It it doesn't seem like it's that difficult, Mike. I don't know. 
Well, as Josh Alper asked yesterday, as we were reacting to the news of the allegations against Antonio Brown, and the question that he raised was, how stupid would you have to be to not pay your chef and put yourself in a position that this would happen? And the response was, you would have to be as stupid as Antonio Brown is. Okay. That's, no. that's how you tie it all together. He doesn't have the greatest track record of doing smart things and paying your bills, you know, Apart from just the basic responsibility to a civilized society, it goes yes. a long way toward getting people from telling on you, which is exactly what happened to Antonio Brown. All right, this is Five for Friday, and we spent a lot of time on the one. How about number two? Who are you more confident in when it comes to winning the AFC East this season? The Bills at 6-3 and three or the Patriots at 7-4? and four? They play twice in the month of December. Yeah, twice within 20 days because of that Monday night game. I want to say the Bills so badly, but like, I don't know. Maybe it's this thing that I'm like feeling after watching that Bill Belichick clip and seeing what they did last night where it just seems like Belichick is rejuvenated, 69 years old, and he's now kind of got like this part two or maybe it's more like part four or five to his Patriots tenure with Matt Jones and the way they're playing defense. I... There's a part of me that just really wants to say the Patriots, even though the Bills, they're, they're good. It's just that Josh Allen has been inconsistent this year. So I don't know if I really answered the question. I'll, I'll answer it. I'll give me the Patriots. Let me be bold today. Patriots. I'm going to say the Patriots without question. I think the Patriots okay. are going to win that division at this point. Five wins in a row. Bill Belichick knows what he has by way of a team. He knows how to maximize that team. And the Bills have been all over the place this year. There was a stretch where they were the only dominant team in the NFL. And they fell off. And now they, you get good week, you get bad week, you get a ton of inconsistency there. And maybe they can muster the right level of will when it's time to play the Patriots. But I, I think it's going to be a tall order because the Patriots are back. And the Bills are going to have their hands full twice with the Patriots in the month of December. All right, item three, between the Eagles, the Giants, and Washington, who do you have the most confidence in clinching the seven seed? I don't know that I have confidence in any of them, but I guess a second team out of the NFC East. If one is going to make it to the playoffs, which of those three do you think will do it, Miles? Ugh, uh, the Giants, I guess, because of their schedule and they can play good defense. They're starting to get healthier. It looks like Saquon Barkley may or may not be back this week, but if not this week, then coming up real soon. I guess the Giants. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I, Frank, I, I don't really like what's been going on in Washington. Philadelphia is all right when they really want to run the ball. Maybe I should choose Philly, but I'm not. I'll just choose the Giants. Yeah, I, I think I think the Eagles, because I, I feel like Nick Sirianni has kind of learned on the fly how he needs to run his team, and they're giving the yes. ball to the running backs, and they seem to be improving. Devontae Smith is coming on, and some think maybe he could even supplant Jamar Chase as the Offensive Rookie of the Year, although the way the Patriots are going, I think Mac Jones, if anyone, is going to be the one to catch Jamar Chase. But I, I like what the Eagles are doing, and they have an opportunity now to get to 5-6 and six this weekend if they can beat the Saints and stay very much alive. And again, everybody except the Lions, alive for the 6 or the 7 seed in the NFC. Item 4, which head coach are you most impressed with this season, not named Bill Belichick, Miles? I'd say Mike Tomlin, uh, mainly because I just didn't think the Steelers would be very good this year. And, you know, I know that they tied with uh, Detroit last week. But look, when you lose your quarterback on Saturday because of COVID, like things are going to be a little bit wonky the next day. And it's unfortunate that they weren't able to at least beat uh, the Detroit Lions, but they did still tie. And so they're still in the thick of the division race right now. And I think that's a real big credit to him. Look, again, I've said this before. He has been the head coach since the Bush administration, right? And they've never had a losing season with Mike Tomlin. I think this year is really one of his most impressive coaching jobs so far. Yeah, I'm going to say Mike Vrabel because okay. the Titans have fallen into this mode that is very hard to capture. It's like team chemistry. You can't engineer mm -hmm. it. But you get into a rhythm where your team is all in with the idea that every week is its self-contained entity, and we're going to go 1-0 and this week. We hear that cliche all the time, but I feel like the Titans have perfected the Belichickian art of forget about the last game, win the next game. Forget about the last game, win the next game. And I think losing to the Jets was the wake-up call for the Titans, that they have to take every team seriously. They get a test this weekend against a Texans team that they probably are overlooking with the Patriots looming. But with Mike Vrabel, 
I don't think they're going to overlook anyone. And I am so looking forward to that game next week between the Patriots and the Titans because the similarities in the coaching style and what Vrabel's done with that team, especially going 2-0 and post Derrick Henry out for the year. Next man up, no excuses, no, this isn't our year or down in the mouth, or we have no chance. No, you just keep winning, and you expect your players to come in and perform. Last one, real quickly. Does Cam Newton lead the Panthers to the playoffs in the NFC? Uh, before I answer this question, I know I'm breaking the rules, but I would also shout out Matt LaFleur in terms of an impressive coaching job just because of all the Rodgers stuff. But yes is the answer to this question. I think the Panthers have such a good defense, and you pair Cam Newton with Christian McCaffrey. That run game can be really, really dangerous, really, really effective. I think it starts this week. We see them make a march to the postseason, Mike. The key is keeping Cam Newton healthy, and he looks like he's lost some weight. He doesn't look as heavy. Not not that he was – he just looks he, – doesn't he look a little thin? He looks a little thin a little to thin. me. Thin? Maybe he's know. down about 10 or 15. I don't know. Maybe it's more than that when you're that tall. I mean, the guy is a giant, and mm-hmm. I think if he stays healthy, they are very much alive to make it to the postseason as the six or the seven in the NFC. Let's go ahead and take a break. What we can't wait to see this weekend when this – Friday edition of PFTPM continues right after this. Week 11 is here, as we do every Friday. What we can't wait to see on the Sunday to come. Miles, you're up. All right. I think that my first pick is going to be, can the Cardinals soar or can they limp? into their bye week because look you've got Kyler Murray he's a game time decision you're not going to have DeAndre Hopkins but you are going up to a desperate Seattle team I'm just not sure if you know it's worth it to play Kyler Murray if it's still a game time decision Mike and if I if it's game time decision I would lean no let that bye week let him heal a little bit more and then you know when you come out of it you have Chicago and the Rams then you start moving yeah, I, I I don't want to lose two in a row going into the bye. The Rams are too close. The Packers are in position for the one seed. I don't want to go to Green Bay in January if I'm the Cardinals. I, I, I'm inclined to give Murray a chance and maybe get him out of the game if we can if we can deliver an early knockout punch. For me, Aaron Rodgers, toe injury. Will he be affected by it? He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. He doesn't have a designation on the final injury report, which means he is indeed good to go. But I think back to Patrick Mahomes last year, mobile quarterback, chronic toe injury. Will this get better? It's not like he's going to take an extended period of time off. And this injury first popped up after he missed a game against Mahomes' Chiefs when he was on the COVID list. That was a little P.S. when Rodgers was activated last Saturday. Oh, by the way, he's on the injury report with a toe. It's like, what is this? What is this? So it's something to keep an eye on. Will he be affected? Will he be less mobile? And will it continue to bother him? You're up. It definitely will be something to look for. Uh, Let me see if the Browns can keep the Lions winless, right? The Browns, obviously the last team to go 0-16, and frankly, they probably would like to get rid of that. Obviously, you know, the Lions aren't going to go 0-17, but they could still go 0-16-1. You need a big bounce-back performance from Baker Mayfield. They will have Nick Chubb back. That certainly helps. And, hey, is Miles Garrett – uh, going to be able to get past whatever this sort of unpleasantness was with defensive coordinator Joe Woods. Will the Browns be able to make some adjustments, especially they're going against probably Tim Boyle instead of Jared Goff? By the way, this is the rare, once every four years, Great Lakes Classic. They have hey, that trophy. Hey, yeah, the barge, right? the barge. It's the barge. Oh, yeah. Oh, the barge. How could something so little mean so much? The Cleveland Steamer. <laughs> I think is the name of the No, it's not that. <laughs> uh, what's your next pick, Mike? What else do you want to see? Probably not a Cleveland Steamer because I don't want to see that. Should I go? Because you're uh, useless here. Uh, we got to move we'll on to this somehow. I'm done. Goodbye. Oh, Miles is going to take it from here. I'm retiring. Okay. Uh, <laughs> we we'll, uh, when we last saw the the – Baltimore Ravens, they were being blitzed into oblivion by the Miami Dolphins. Will they have an answer to that blitz? Because if I'm Deshaun Desai, the defensive coordinator of the Bears, I'm sending my safeties every snap until Greg Roman and Lamar Jackson show me that they have an answer for it, which consists of something other than hitting the deck and uh, and uh, curling up in a ball, which I would like to do right now. Miles, you have the last one. <laughs> 
Alrighty. Well, let's see how the Bengals come out from their bye week. You know, they're going to Las Vegas. They're playing the Raiders. You got to get Joe Burrow back on uh, the good horse, right? You got to get him going with Jamar Chase once again, because I just feel like at this point, those two dudes have got to keep their chemistry going again. They are not from Cleveland. They're from Cincinnati. All right, let's take a break. We'll bust open the PFTPM mailbag when this Friday edition of the program returns right after this. <laughs> there are over 75 million monthly Tubi viewers. That's more people than there are in France, which means Tubi is more popular than cigarettes for breakfast. It's more popular than considering iced coffee a total abomination. More popular than loving political revolutions. More popular than mer and mer somehow being different words. Tubi, it's more popular than being French. See you in there. Three years ago tonight, one of the greatest regular season games ever played happened in Los Angeles. Remember, it was supposed to be in Mexico City, but it got moved to L.A. because the field in Mexico City was a complete and total disaster. The game was not. Chiefs and Rams, back and forth. It was one of those games where when it ended, you wanted it to just keep going. It was awesome. And Miles has uh, a memento. I do. I have spots from three years ago. I, Let me see. I would say it's less that you wanted it to keep going and more like you wanted a cigarette. So I was working for the Rams at the time. And so I got the, this nice little game ball from that. Or it says, you know, my name here. And we've got the location, Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And the final score, Rams 54 Kansas City Chiefs 51. So it was a pretty, pretty cool night, pretty cool memento to have from that game. Something that now, let's, you know, if you've never been able to tell what's behind me, that's exactly what that is. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I don't have any Everybody in the organization got tubs. one. That's why I got one. It wasn't something that, special that I did. But that's, that's, <laughs> but, but still, you got one. That's all that matters. I did. Uh, Stan Kroenke, yes. um, you know, a good gesture by him to give everybody in the organization the game ball for that okay. outcome. And it was yeah, a hell of a just, game. I'm not going to say was, anything. It else. was a hell of a game. Yeah. I'm, thank I'm you. not going to no. make any comment about Stan Kroenke and his good. obligations to his partners. There we go. And now he's trying yeah, to he, shirk he them. He paid me for five years. So that's I mean, right. You know, okay. not that I'm totally biased. The funny thing about that game moving, Mike, I was, so the Rams were staying in uh, Colorado to get acclimated to the climate, whatever, in the altitude before going to Mexico City. And so I was on the elliptical, you know, trying to get a workout in when I got a text like, hey, the game's actually going to be in Los Angeles. So, you know, you better start writing something like, oh, great. Okay. Well, it's the worst workout ever. Yeah. Uh, but but it, 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 that game needed to be in L.A. The way that it was played, and who knows if it would have been that great if it wasn't uh, in L.A. That that was an awesome game, and obviously the Rams went on to the Super Bowl that year and scored far fewer than 51 points. Real quick question, Neil watches PFT. Um, who do you think is most culpable for the Vikings' non-winning mentality and culture? I, you know, I've said this before, Ooh, and I'll go ahead and boy. say it again. I think it starts at ownership. I don't think ownership really is obsessed with winning a Super Bowl. This is an investment. It's making money, and one of the ways you make money is to have a team there's right around 500 every year. They're in it every year. The stadium's full every year. You, you get to the playoffs every other year. And there, there isn't that overriding obsession with delivering a Super Bowl trophy to Minnesota that the fans there have, Miles. Well, they've built the stadium. They've built a beautiful football practice facility. So the elements are there. I guess it's just now putting the pieces in place to do it. All right. That's it for now. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the Browns-Lions game. Great Lakes Classic. Play the steamer. Bye, Mike. Bye. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.